My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Well, isn't it just like me to wait until the 11th hour to record this? In the grand scheme of the podcast universe, you all won't even know that I do a lot of this the night before the release. I know, it's poor planning. I get a little emotional telling the story of how I met Jesus, so please bear with me through this episode. I recorded this March 17th, 2023, and I hope you all enjoy the detailed story of June 23rd, 2019. Please rate, review, follow, share our episodes, and feel free to throw us a comment on socials where we are Walking with Jesus podcast. Thanks for walking with us today. So, this is it. This is the story that people have been asking about. When I launched this podcast in December, I started with the introduction that announces that I started walking with Jesus on June 23, 2019. The idea behind that is that I would try to build intrigue. I would try to create some excitement about that day so that then, a few episodes later, I could tell the story of what happened that day. My story of meeting Jesus and Him rescuing me out of the path that I was headed down. I am a drunk. By the way, as it stands right now, today is St. Patrick's Day. And I have been planning to record this episode on St. Patrick's Day since it occurred to me that not only is my name Patrick, not only am I a little Irish, but this is also the day that I would just let loose with anything that ever made me want to pretend like I wasn't a drunk. St. Patrick's Day was a day of complete and total excess, and I celebrated in the most toxic ways imaginable. But we'll get to that later. I need to start, as any good story should, at the beginning. So when I took my first drink, I actually don't remember. Um, I really don't. I remember the earliest drinking memory I have. My grandparents lived in a house in Rock Island, Illinois. And in the basement of this house, they had an old refrigerator that was always stocked with beer. Always. There were weekends when just my brother and I would go because my mother, after she and my father divorced, my mother would meet my grandparents halfway. And it was actually really excellent for my mom to do that because it really fostered an excellent relationship with my dad's parents. So any of you out there who are divorced parents, um, struggling with parenting, I definitely recommend that you do the best you can to involve in-laws and everyone in the children's lives because it is beneficial. I speak from experience. So we would go there and my brother and my grandpa would go play golf and I would stay home with my grandma. And I was little, young. And I would go downstairs and I would open a beer. I would say I was going to the bathroom and I would open a beer 
and I would drink a few sips out of it and then I would hide it. And then every once in a while I would run downstairs and have a few more sips. And then I would play cards with my grandma and watch TV with my grandma. And it was, she didn't know. Let me make this very clear. She didn't know that I was in the basement drinking. And if you are related to me in any way, shape, or form, and this shocks you, I'm sorry. And if you're related to me in any way, shape, or form, and this makes you go, huh, I don't know what else to say. So that's where it started. And I, <laughs> my parents had left booze in the basement. So by the time I got to high school, I was... There was not a lot, but there was enough that, that we could have a few parties with it. Um, and I drank through, I mean, I distinctly remember going to parties when I was young and I drank through all of that. And by the time we hit high school, for the most part, I drank hard liquor. I enjoyed drinking. When I became college age, that started to get really dangerous. I celebrated my 21st birthday with 21 shots of Irish whiskey. I was an absolute wreck of a person by that time. I had a serious girlfriend. We didn't live together when I was 21, but we had lived together off and on. We, you know, we were together, but drinking and also a young exposure to sexuality and pornography by the time I was 21, those things hit fever pitch. It became a game to drink and womanize, or if I wasn't successful womanizing to watch porn, it was just a terrible cycle. And it led me to cheating on most everyone I dated in those years and having really, really unhealthy relationships um, it used to be awful. It was truly awful to know how I hurt people and the regret and the guilt that I would feel behind closed doors. But in public, I would be outraged that they would be angry with me. I would be so defensive if they tried to tell me that I was wrong about something. Or that I had hurt them. I would just try to use word salad or I would just flat out disappear. This behavior led to a suicide attempt in high school because I was just so ashamed of what I had done that I just lashed out at everyone around me and drank to numb. What alcohol did to me was turn me into a person who lies who cheated, stole, and was just genuinely dishonest with most everyone I met. And anybody who knew me, or still knows me today, knows that that's true. When my brother and I recorded, we spent a few minutes talking about some of my behaviors in the years leading up to my faith walk. We'll just use the entire decade of my 20s as the drinking have you know progressively getting more and more into my alcoholism um i drank before i was legally allowed to mm -hmm. but also then once i was legally allowed to then it escalated 
exponentially and quickly. Did you see then? Did you know then that I had a drinking problem when I was in my 20s? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we I didn't know the extent because we didn't live together, you know, and uh yeah, so that I didn't see it as much as obviously you were experiencing it, but I knew like all right, you know, drinking a lot and and I had made the decision at a very young age to never drink long before I made a decision for Christ. Mm. Um, and so it was just something where, yeah, I just knew that, okay, yeah, he's drinking a lot. And then when we were, when we were together at family stuff or whatever, then it was like, all right, yeah, this is just kind of part of your life. Yeah. And we, we come from a family where drinking is not only accepted by our family, but in many ways encouraged. Yeah. Um, and so you, in those years, you were the, the oddball because you didn't drink now, you know, 20 years later, here we are where I think 50% of our family now is, yeah. is sober. Yeah. Yeah. It's so drinking was, was a part of it. Womanizing and pornography addictions were a second part of it. Did you know about those? Well, I knew yes, because those things began when we were still in high school. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, and we, we had the shared addiction of pornography and so I think, you know, yeah, I, that, those things I knew were there. And, you know, I mean, I met most of your girlfriends over those years and, <laughs> uh, you know, or at least heard their names sure, over the years. Sure. Alcohol was a big part of it. Alcohol was a big part of my need for control because I was constantly feeling like my drinking was out of control, that I needed to have perfect control of everything else in life. And that often meant trying to control other people including my my first wife and it and she obviously as any human does resists that and says no you know you you can't control me you're not gonna control me um and then i got divorced and went through a really really dangerous phase of of alcoholism where now we're getting to a point where where the alcoholism could come close to killing me yeah, yeah. did you know then that 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 the drinking was as that it had gotten bad. I, I, let me, let me put it this way. I attempted to hide from you, from mom and from dad, only the three of you, my alcoholism. I attempted to keep it hidden. I attempted when I was around you to drink less. Did you know I was lying? Uh, yes, I knew (laughs) you were lying. I didn't know the degree from the truth to what you were presenting. I didn't know how far apart those things were, but I knew that you weren't telling the truth. Uh, it wasn't until one of your accidents that, that you're like, yeah, I got in a car accident and I think I better cut down my drinking. Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is way worse than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's 2009. That's April 24th of 2009. Um, when I wrecked a car on a Denver freeway with a blood alcohol of 0.21. The drinking was just a part of the circle of lies, but the drinking led to a pornography addiction, a self-pleasure, self-satisfaction, masturbation addiction, whatever you, I don't know what it's called, but that's what it all led to. I felt like I didn't really have any control over myself, but I didn't know it yet. I didn't know that I was out of control because I was in it. So the people around me 
And again, anybody out there who's listening that knows me from before, you know that this is true, that this is a, I'm, I was a tornado of a person, was literally what one of my former college roommates called me. He said, you come into someone's life, you wreck a whole bunch of stuff, and then you disappear. So first, let me say that I am sorry to anybody out there who my life affected theirs in a negative way, wreaked destruction. I'm sorry. If you're new and you're just joining us and you've just met me recently, hi, I'm Patrick, also go by Packy, and my walk with Jesus has changed me. Before I quit drinking, I wrestled so much with my identity and how would I ever be able to shed that version of me to get rid of those old clothes. I had the chance to talk with Melissa about that when we recorded last year. Who would I become if I were to upset the apple cart, hmm. throw away all the stuff that was me and, and, and give it over to Jesus? Who would I become hmm. and how would I maintain friendships with the people that I knew and loved? Um, Which is fair when all the decisions you're making are part of your identity and part of the your schedule and part of how you live your life. It's a pretty fair question to think, okay, if I get rid of all that, what will be left? Yeah. I'll sit in my apartment by myself twiddling my thumbs and watching like pastors on TV or something. Yeah. Like, That's horrible. So yeah, no exactly. And so... So now we fast forward, you and Ben begin, you know, you, you went through a season where you, you moved a few times, kind of pretty quickly moved a few times and, and I stopped living with you. Um, I think you both knew on some level that my drinking got worse. Mm -hmm. How did you know? Hmm. That's a good question. So April 25th, 2009, not only was my last cigarette, but also a day that I wrecked a car and almost killed myself while drunk. Mm -hmm. And, and that was the first time that I was honest with anyone about how much I was drinking, that, that it was, you know, I was drunk and wrecked a car mm -hmm. and there was no way out of that. I couldn't lie my way out of that right. because I was, I had to go to a trial. I was like, mm -hmm. I, I had been arrested and spent the night handcuffed to a bed and in a hospital and all that. I couldn't make excuses or lies about that. So how, at what point did you know, Oh, oh, wow. He's maybe in more trouble than we thought. Yeah. I mean, up until that point, I feel like it's more guesses or like a weird vibe that you get, which mm. we weren't around you a ton. And again, like at holidays, it's not like you're getting plastered in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner. But probably when it was more like the bigger family reunions where there's plenty of alcohol available. I'm certainly noticing like, oh, I feel like he is drinking quite a lot. But I'm not trying to like spy on you or like I'm going to mark the beer cans to see like how many are we in here but it was very apparent to me that you were very comfortable drinking a lot and that you know it just seemed like okay this is probably like the vibe that he has going on at yeah. home too because it doesn't it seems pretty natural so I yeah I remember being concerned like that feels like a lot of alcohol being mm -hmm. consumed over there but again I'm not in the position where I'm going to come lecture you or wag my finger at you. Um, and again, I, I can't tell you how much that always meant to me hmm. that for, for you and Ben both, how much that meant to me that I could on some level be real mm -hmm. and the two of you wouldn't, I wouldn't lose you uh -huh. because that was all I, yeah. I wrestle with this a lot. Now 
back then as an actor, as a performer, I feel like there's a part of my life that has, that is a performance that I'm, mm. I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. And with you and Ben, I, that would, that existed. I was, I was definitely pretending cause I didn't want you to worry. I also did. I was afraid that I would maybe get lectured, mm. but it never happened. Now looking back, I look back and go, I could always be myself mm. and never be judged or lectured even by Ben who's never had a sip <laughs> of alcohol in his life. I, I can't say that now because I know there's sips are that's a strong word. Right. Ben has never walked into a bar and ordered a drink. Right. Let's put it that way. Yes, yes. <laughs> ben has never sat down at a restaurant and ordered yes, a drink. Right. Um, and so I was always afraid of, of mm-hmm. the judgment that would come and I didn't want it to be ugly with, mm-hmm. with you and Ben. Um, so we fast forward now to, you know, I, I moved to Michigan. I moved from Colorado into Michigan, and, and I'm, I'm divorced. I've, I've literally every, gosh, everything that the Bible says not to do, I've done. <laughs> one of Tony Evans' children, the, Pastor Tony Evans, one mm-hmm. of his, Dr. Tony Evans, sorry, Tony, if you're listening, uh, and I hope you are. Um, <laughs> one of his children says, I never had to know whether or not the Bible was real because... I tried living without it, and it turns out that everything in it is real because when you live without it, you know, you learn. And I, I learned that the hard way, sadly. So I moved to Michigan. I'm raising my, my child. I meet the woman who would become my wife. We break up. I have what some drunks need, and that's that final night of you just drink. Mm-hmm. I had that. And then a few months later, three months, three months almost to the day, 90 days almost to the day after getting sober, really started a fruitful walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, the, the inviting him in happened the night that I got sober. So 20 minutes later, here's the story. There are stories a lot that happened between me turning 21 and June 23rd, 2019. But we're going to skip over most of it. My wife and I were just dating at the time. We were living in, we were living together, actually. Um, our relationship was not God-honoring. I hadn't yet found the Lord. I know that now, and I have confessed those sins as well. I hid a lot of drinking, but I didn't really, I basically didn't drink every day. I had, I had a seeming handle on the drinking while we were living together. But what that did for me, trying to, to drink less and all, and, and just trying to, to engage in this relationship was stressful. And because I didn't drink as much then, that stress became very overwhelming. And that manifested itself in me yelling at these children all the time. My wife comes into our relationship with two children from her first marriage. And I come into this marriage with one child from my first marriage. All of that stress and angst built up into me into this rage that I was screaming at these kids. And then Autumn got pregnant. And I was so excited because I thought it was going to be a huge celebration. And what she saw was this man who's really, really angry now having a baby and she left 
I hold no ill will toward her whatsoever for that. I have forgiven her, and she has forgiven me. We both walk with Jesus, and we both seek compassion in each other. But make no mistake, there isn't a day that goes by that my wife doesn't push me to be a better person. And if you're listening out there and you know her, you feel the same way. She's been walking with Jesus a lot longer than I have. So she moves out with her two young children. This was in March of 2019. And now I'm devastated. And now I have no reason not to numb those feelings. So I pick up the bottle again. Hard. Thankfully, I was employed at the time with a job where I traveled. And so I was able to spread it out. So there was no one group of people that saw me all the time. But I had... I worked with a community theater here locally, did work in Chicago, I did work in Indiana, I did work here in Michigan. So I was kind of all over the place. And so there was no one group that I spent a lot of time with for my drinking to be that obvious. And throughout the course of the breakup, Autumn and I talked. We went through periods where I was very angry. We went through periods where she was just hurt and shut down. I was just desperately trying to put my family back together, just desperate for how to do that. And I was drinking so much because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't rest until I could put my family back together. My heart would race and I would have to like actually do breathing exercises and meditation exercises to start calming down. That's why every month I do a meditation on God's word. At this time in my story, I wasn't yet meditating on God's word. I was just doing breathing exercises and trying to focus in on my breath because I felt like I was going to die. And I kept drinking and drinking. And then up until that point, Autumn and her in-laws from her first marriage had hosted a beer pong tournament every summer in memoriam of her first husband. And I had been invited for the last couple of years when Autumn and I were dating. So now this is June 22nd of 2019 that they invite me, Autumn invites me, to just come. She's, Larkin was born in October, this is June. So she's five months pregnant at the time. And she won't be drinking. I'll quote my friend Jeff Burton. When you show up with a half a gallon of whiskey, interesting things are going to happen. So I showed up because I didn't, wasn't drinking beer. Here's the best part of me not drinking beer. The reason why was because a whole bunch of beer made me feel sick and I didn't want to feel sick. I wanted to feel drunk. I also would then tell people, no, I'm cutting carbs (laughs) as if, as if that was a thing. I show up with a handle of Jameson and I tell everybody, I'm just going to have a big cup of Jameson. And each time somebody sinks one and I have to drink, I'll just take a shot of Jameson. Only I walked around with that cup even when I wasn't playing. So I'm drinking and drinking and drinking. And somehow my partner and I make it to the semifinal round of this. And at that point, I'm so drunk that something inside of me decides that it's best for me to go home. I don't know if it's because I was angry and my body said, just go home. Because if you are angry here, it's not going to end well. You're going to end up getting your butt kicked. And I mean, actually physically. So I decided it's time to go. That's sort of where my memory ends. 
the people around me have to tell me what happened. And so I trust Miranda and Jeff, John and April, who were there and and who were in a much lower state of inebriation than I was. They tell me that I insisted, that I screamed in people's faces, that I was just ready. And so two of my friends, during this breakup, I wasn't sure who I could trust. Everybody involved with Autumn obviously took Autumn's side, and I'm using quotes that, because that's a ridiculous concept. They were supporting their friend. So these two people, who I genuinely thought didn't give a rip about me, get in the car to follow me home. I somehow, by the miracle of God, make it home. I think at this point, it's safe for me to say that God's hand was all over these moments. So I get home, I go inside, and I proceed to drink more. I had a crystal, actual crystal decanter that I had filled with Jameson, you know, like you're supposed to do with fine whiskey, but it really does seem hoity-toity, I don't know. Drunk me thought that it was best for me to text and or call Autumn repeatedly, over and over and over again, trying to get a hold of her. She's trying to avoid it, trying to be with her family. She's devastated now because now here I am, a drunken buffoon. And so by the time it gets to be really, really late, now I've been drinking, I have thrown up multiple times and I just keep drinking. And she finally answers the phone. She's tired. She's emotionally exhausted. The purpose of this beer pong tournament was to memorialize her first husband. And I tried to make it all about me. I don't remember what I said to her on the phone, but I know that it was evil. I think we got to a point where she hung up on me and that was it. Now the rage kicks in. I had broken a bunch of things in my house, stepped on a piece of broken glass and I'm just tired and I want to go to bed and I go up into my bathroom and I get sick. I haven't had anything to eat. All I've done is drink whiskey, not even any water, just whiskey. And I get to a point where my vomit turns to blood. And it's not like watered down. It's just blood. It's just gross. And I lay there on the bathroom floor. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eugene Peterson translates that as, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I laid there on my bathroom floor at the end of my rope. I laid there nearly dead. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, The Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. So when you're at the end of your rope and you're lost, that's who comes to save you. And I prayed and I begged him not to let me die on my bathroom floor. I knew that it would be Lilia, my then eight-year-old daughter, that would find me on the floor. And I begged him not to let me die. Realizing that this is going to be published, I better clarify that my daughter was not at home during this. My daughter was with her mother in a separate house, living in a separate part of town when this was happening. So I don't want anyone to think that my daughter was home and would be would find me that morning. She was not home 
it would be a couple of days before she gets there. So just for clarity purposes, and I hate that I have to do that, but I absolutely understand that I'd have to do that. Jesus reached down his hand and he said, okay, things are going to be different now. And so I started feeling better, like I could go to bed. So I stood up, I washed my face off, and I crawled into bed and I went to sleep. The next morning I woke up and I heard a voice in my ear say, okay, it starts now. Get up. So I got up, June 23rd of 2019, and I put all the liquor in my house into a box, and I carried it downstairs, and I put it into a closet, and I closed the door. And Jesus said, you're going to give that to somebody as a gift. And I said, okay. And I did a few months later. At that point, I had no idea how much Jesus was going to wreck the life that I thought I loved. The life that I was so desperate to cling to, to hold on to. And he came in and the first thing he did was he said, okay, you don't drink anymore. And you need to start reading scripture. And my brother and sister-in-law, you've heard part of their stories now. They have been praying for this. And so they had given me a Bible. I had actually prayed a few years before this to, to accept Christ but I wasn't really ready for what that meant. I tried a Bible study and was like, nope. And that was kind of it. And I lied to my brother about it. I lied about what I was doing. You know, I was just awful. And I know he knows I was lying. I know he does. I, I'm still sorry. And so there I am reading the Bible. And I find Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I find if you're poor in spirit, meaning you don't have anything else, you will be blessed. And so I'm like, huh, weird. And over the next few days when my daughter comes home, I start to say to her, okay, we're going to be close now. Like we're going to, I just want to hang out with you. And so my daughter and I get really, really close. We start praying together for God to soften Autumn's heart, for God to let my growth continue. I have now openly admitted to my eight-year-old daughter that I am going to be a better dad, that the anger that she has seen in me, that I'm going to work hard to do better. She and I had awesome conversation about the fact that I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be. My name's Packy, not Jesus. And so he started to mend my relationship with my daughter. I started to look for biblical instruction on how to be a parent. And do you want to know when God describes himself as a parent, he describes himself with five words. And if you're ever looking for a way to describe yourself as a parent, I pray that these five words will help you in that. In Exodus 34, chapter 6, the Lord passes in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion, mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Compassion, mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. If we look to Scripture to model for us how to be a parent, those are the things we have to do. And he called me out and said, this is how you're going to do this. Three months later, 
in September of 2019, my daughter comes into my room on a Sunday morning and says, Dad, I think we should go to church. And I was like, all right, let's go. And we walked into that church. And my life will never be the same. I was so welcomed. I sat in the middle because I knew that if you sat in the back, the pastor looks for you. And if you sat in the front, the pastor can see you. And so I sat right in the middle thinking, okay, this is the place where I will be the least seen. (laughs) And that was when I was so dumb that I thought God wasn't as smart as me. (laughs) So near the end of the service, the pastor says, okay, stand up and find someone near you who you can tell your story to who you were before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life has been like since. And so I stand up and I look around, and behind me is this man who is the most chill-looking dude I have ever seen. He's in like a Hawaiian pattern shirt, shorts, and he's just like, just chill. And I was like, yep, this is the guy. (laughs) And so I introduce myself. He tells me his story. And then I say to him, I don't have much of a story because all I have is the who I was before I met Jesus. Today's my first time being in a church because I want to be. And he looked at me (laughs) and he said, okay, you want to meet the pastor? And so we walk up, we meet the pastor. And then Steve, this man says to me, now the next step is really that you need to read your Bible. Uh, Do you have a Bible? And I was like, I do. And he goes, okay, well, watch this Bible project video because it's a legit way to understand how you're supposed to read the Bible. So Tim and John, thank you for all that you do. I feel like I'm giving an Oscar speech. Tim and John, thank you for helping in my walk with the Bible Project videos and podcast. What an amazing resource. And so he gives me these videos. I would later check them out with my brother to be like, hey, is this like, is this a cult thing or is am I okay to watch these? And he was like, no, you're good. And so now I've watched a lot of them and I've listened to well over 200 hours of their podcast, and I absolutely love it. We support their mission. That's how I came to walk with Jesus. That's the story. Over time, Autumn saw the change in me, and she, with God's help, forgave me, and we began to rebuild a relationship. The day I was baptized, the very next day, two days later, I proposed. I wanted to be honoring to God. I wanted to do things to honor God. And every day, I love you and I cherish you. God, thank you for leading me through the me that didn't know how to deal with brokenness. And now I know that the way you deal with brokenness is that you pray. You pray for forgiveness. You pray for healing. You pray for Jesus to come in and do what Jesus does. And you open yourself to the fact that you can't do it alone. And you surrender the fact that you want to be in control, and it's hard. Some days it feels impossible. And when you screw up, you admit it, and you say, all right, Jesus, I screwed up. And then in First John 1, 9, he says, guess what? I forgive you, and I wash you clean of that. Now go do better. You want to talk about the ultimate father? Somebody who says, let's clean you off. Now go do better. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed your walk with us today. Blessings, everyone.